Amen. Thank you, Tad. Good morning, everyone. If you uh, brought a Bible with you, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the, underneath the chair in front of you. Feel free to take that with you if you don't have a copy of the Scriptures for yourself. So we'll be in 1 Corinthians 12 together this morning. Um, it's going to take us a while, but that will be our main text here in a little bit. Last week, we started a six-week uh, series of messages in which we will be looking together at uh, what we've entitled God's Church, God's Way. Um, our plan in the series of talks is to provide a broad overview of what the Bible itself says uh, about church. Many of us uh, would perhaps come up with a different definition or different ideas about what church is if we were able to go around the room with a microphone. And in this series, we're trying to let the scriptures speak for themselves, go to a main text each week, and just simply lay it out and consider what it says about the church. Uh, last week, we looked at Acts 2, which is the, the birth of the very first uh, church. And we discussed that the way a church becomes a vibrant, wonderful group of people that folks long to be a part of is not by doing exactly what they did in Acts 2, but by coming to see who Jesus is and the effect of our sin, and that from that flow, vibrancy as a church. Unless you're brand new with us today, as Tad said earlier, you'll know that we're in a season of prayer as a faith family, where we're seeking to um, understand some additional ideas about church and uh, consider implementing them adjusting the structure of the church in order to better match God's design. Um, if you're a guest with us today, uh, welcome. We're thrilled that you're here. Uh, you're jumping in midstream, and that's uh, certainly fine. That's what all of us have done as we've come along and joined in this church. Uh, we'd like to welcome especially college students. So many of you are here today for the first time. Welcome. Uh, we are uh, thankful that God has strategically positioned us as a church family, where we are geographically, and are thrilled that you're here. Hope that during your time at ASU that you will invest deeply in a church, not merely sit in a service once a week, but really become connected and join in with a church family. And we'd be privileged for that to be here. You'll be able to hear today some of really who we are and what makes us Church on Mill. We believe that God's word is not only true, but also good. Right, church? And so, therefore, the more faithfully we follow its instructions, both individually, so our own individual lives, but then also collectively, then the more we'll experience God, the more effective we'll be as individuals and as a church family. On September 20th, the members will be asked to vote on these new bylaws, and this series is meant simply to equip you with the theological backing behind these uh, changes. So just by way of review for many of us, the major changes that are being proposed are three things, and I will uh, quote these directly from the proposals. They'll be on the screens uh, behind us. So first, uh, we're proposing the church specifically state that we're congregationally governed, meaning that God says his church is to be made up of members who enjoy responsibility for each other. And today I'm going to seek to, to explain that in more detail. Next week we'll take number two, elder-led, 
God says his church is to be led, cared for, taught, and protected through a group of qualified and called men who share the responsibilities to pastor the members. So next week, we'll talk about that in depth. And then third, deacon served. God says his church is to be served by qualified and called men and women called deacons. So those three changes are really the heart of uh, the proposal that's been put before you. And um, if you've not read it yet, I encourage you to pick up when you leave a copy of the proposal. It's on the credenza in the entryway. And um, take the time to read it and get a little bit more information. So today, I just want to try and work through with you some thoughts related to being congregationally governed. Now, I have a bone to pick with you, Spencer. Sorry. <laughs> you don't even know what I'm going to say yet, but uh, Spencer didn't make this sound like preaching is particularly worthwhile. He said it just goes in one ear and out the other. So um, if that's your experience, then uh, that's Spencer's fault because he set that up as that's what this is going to be about. So thank you, brother, for that. So I would like everyone to take your finger and put it in right here. That way the sound will go in one ear and stay. Okay? Um, no. No, we want to say that uh, the, the preaching of God's Word, if, if done in the manner in which the Scriptures would call us, is, is going to hearken both the questions we're asking, but then the ones we're not asking and we ought to be. And um, we're thankful for that God's given us His Word by which we can understand uh, His will. And so I hope your experience will not be like Spencer's. Um, you probably know somebody... Uh, who's had a, a stint put in. Can you think of somebody in your life? Uh, most of the time, that's done in an artery around the heart. The person having that done most commonly didn't know they needed it. It wasn't until life-threatening symptoms came on and the rush to the hospital that they find out, uh, I'm going to die if I don't get this stint put in. You may be here today in need of a spiritual stint. Now, you might not recognize it because the symptoms may not have become obvious yet. But you might be unaware of this reality, that part of the way God has designed you and designed me is that for us to have spiritually healthy hearts, then we're in desperate need of a church family. We're in need of a people who would come together and help us grow. The mechanism for that connectivity, if you will, according to the scriptures, is what we might call meaningful church membership. Active, committed, vibrant, godly fellowship. Membership where the Bible is preached, where the leaders model Christ-likeness and humbly call the entire church to mature in Christ where the members understand and are serious about their responsibilities towards each other, and where people take glad joy in being on the mission of making disciples. That kind of environment is absolutely essential to having a spiritually healthy heart. Now, it's not that that environment makes us saved. That's not what does that. We individually have to come into the kingdom of God, but then we enter the kingdom of God as individuals, but the kingdom of God is never individualistic. It's always about 
God gathering a people together through which we could all grow and mature in our faith. But maybe church membership doesn't feel like a solution to a spiritual heart problem. In fact, I would say for many of us, that isn't the first thing we think of when we think of a spiritual need in our lives. It's true that there's a lot of unhealthy churches out there. Maybe you've been hurt by one. If so, I hope you'll be willing to grab a friend that you came with or come to a church leader after the gathering and say, you know, I've had this experience and this experience is making it hard for me to accept what the scriptures say. Would you pray with me about that? Um, Churches many times will fail people and even the best leaders will make mistakes. But behind that hurt, perhaps you're unknowingly bringing more pain upon yourself. You see, if you keep your arms out, keeping Christians at arm length, then you won't heal from the hurts of your past. You'll only cause more to come because you'll be resisting the very tool that God would use to help you come to a point of spiritual health. Now, for a lot of us, um, how many of you have been in the valley for longer than a year? So, except for this chunk right here, the college students, a lot, that's most of us. Uh, if you've been here longer than a year, you may not see this any longer. But probably the strongest cultural value in Phoenix, Tempe, in the valley is individualism. We value autonomy over anything. And so there is a very deep current in Tempe, Arizona, that individuals decide what's right and wrong. And that in the end of the day, we don't really need each other. We're just merely a big, massive collection of people who happen to live in the same place. But Church on Mill is not a piece of property. It's a people. And it's a people who want to come together and say, Actually, God says there's a different way to live. There's a better way to live. The Bible uses all kinds of images to explain the commitment and the community of the church. I've made a list of just a few of them you may have seen before. Things like the members of a body, which we'll look at in 1 Corinthians 12 in a minute. Or brothers and sisters in a family. Or sheep in a flock. Or branches on a vine. All of these are are metaphors the Bible uses to describe the church. No single metaphor can grasp the whole picture of what God is creating in the church. It's far too beautiful. That's why we need lots of pictures in order to get the sense of what the church is. The church isn't a piece of property. Many churches don't even have property. The church isn't a business that puts services on for consumers. The church is, is a people. So Church on Mill is her membership. So one of the core questions I'd love for you to think about is whose responsibility is it to build and sustain a healthy church that represents Christ well in Tempe and around the world? Whose responsibility is that? Well, ultimately, it's every single member. And that's what membership is. It's the commitment. It's that moment where you cross the line and say, I want to be a part of helping build that kind of place. 
Membership at Church on Mill is a joyful commitment to follow Christ together until God sends us somewhere else to help build another church and represent Christ well there. Now, when you hear the word membership, what kind of um, images come to mind? Or where is it that you might be a member besides a church? What do you think? Not rhetorical. At a country club? A fitness center. All right, so many of us probably at, at one point or another have had membership in a fitness center. Right? Now, what did that mean? It meant you paid dues, and they gave you a book of rules you didn't look at, and then you might have come another time or two. Right? It's, it's not becoming a part of a community. It's having access to use a facility. And uh, sometimes we bring those images in when we think about membership in a church. What's another place you might have had membership? What? A union. Hmm. Costco? Yes. The zoo. What? Hospital. Membership in a hospital? Okay. So a member of a part of a team? That's, a, that's getting closer, perhaps. Um, a lot of us may have a membership with Amazon Prime, right? So the, uh, the world around us has done a pretty good job of saying, if you'll do this, then you get all these benefits. And yet, it's ultimately about me as an individual determining what rights and privileges that I want to have. It's not about becoming part of something in which I have responsibilities. When we think of membership in the church, it's very different than those things. Think of it more like a wedding vow. It's not like an Amazon Prime membership where you pay a due so you get stuff mailed to you quicker. It's more like a husband, a man and a woman coming together and before God saying, for the rest of my life, I make these commitments to you. And you make these commitments to me. That's much more like the picture we get in the Bible of joining a church. The bylaws proposal aims to make our responsibilities more explicit by stating them directly in our documents. It's not that the intent of the church for decades has been something different than what we're saying. It's that we want to make it more clear. And so if you leave in a little while and get one of those copies and take it with you and read the section related to membership um, that sets up what we're talking about today. Here's what you'll see. And I just want to read it verbatim so that we're all on the same page. It'll be on the screens behind me. Church on Mill is congregationally governed. Now, I, w I know you woke up this morning and you, you said, I'm looking forward to being congregationally governed today. Not words we normally use, so let's see if we can describe them. God entrusts the final authority of and responsibility for the local church to the members. This is expressed biblically in four areas of decision-making. The members are responsible for, and then here's the four things. Number one, preserving unity and promoting holiness in matters of significant dispute between members. There's some passages from which that comes. Number two, 
Guarding the gospel message by removing elders who teach a false gospel. Number three, protecting the purity and reputation of the church by overseeing her membership. And number four, affirming the church's budget and office holders. Uh, God's church, God's way means that as members were so invested, so committed, so involved in each other's lives, in prayer and in serving one another, that when it's time to make a decision as a body, the decisions we're thinking about are, are not the color of the carpet or the color of the chairs or what time we gather. For some of us, we may have been in churches where people fought about all kinds of things like that. Um, I've certainly had those experiences where the things that mattered most were not actually the things that mattered most. But where the decisions that are made as a body are the things of highest importance. Things like, does this person live consistently a Christian life? Does their life match what they're professing they believe? There's no possible way we could know that about each other unless we're seeing each other beyond this environment. Unless we're involved in each other's lives, serving one another, having meals with each other, gathering, in, like Spencer referenced, in small groups, studying the Bible together, praying for one another. That's the only way to be able to faithfully do these four things. God's designed these responsibilities for our good and for our witness to the world and ultimately for his glory. You see, when a church understands these issues and takes them seriously, then everybody involved in this family is better off spiritually because we're using the spiritual muscles that God's given us instead of simply sitting and receiving and not acting upon what we hear. And everybody outside the church sees more clearly who Christ is. The local church isn't a building, it's a people. The church is where we live as family towards one another. It's where we serve and give and hear God's word. It's where we get to see really great things like baptism and take the Lord's Supper together. It's where we confess our sins and pray for each other. It's where our discipleship is guided. It's where the people fulfill the one another's of the Bible. The local church is a team of grateful rebels helping each other mature in Christ and live on mission in the world. Brothers and sisters, the gospel invitation, the call of God, is that we would come to Christ for eternal life. And then, because we've been given eternal life, that we would die a little bit every day. That we would say no to our own desires in order that the more important desires could be fulfilled. The heartbeat of a Christian is, my life is not my own. I've been bought with a price. Christ died for me. And now, I want, because of that reality, to live my life being used by God to affect the lives of other people. First, my fellow church family, but then beyond that. And the local church is ground zero of that commitment. Brothers and sisters, our commitment to each other in membership is not about numbers on a roll. It's not about who gets to decide tangential things. At the end of the day, our membership isn't 
about me as an individual. It's about God's work in a collection of people. Now, in our remaining time together, let's see these ideas fleshed out in one specific passage. So look at 1 Corinthians 12. I'm going to read a fairly long section. So if you need to put your finger in one of your ears, feel free. I'll start in verse 12. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though they're many, are one body, so it is with Christ. That's not confusing at all. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. What's he talking about there? He's talking about our physical bodies. And throughout the rest of the passage, he's going to use our bodies as an illustration for this, as an analogy for the body of Christ. So verse 14, the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And on our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. Kids, you'll have to ask your parents what that means. Verse 24, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. In this famous passage, the human body is used as an analogy for this, the church. Just like you have arms and legs and ears, so does Christ's body, the church. And one of the key things that we're being told here is pretty shocking. And that's that the local church is an ongoing physical representation of Jesus Christ on earth. How different, if you're here today and you're a Christian, whether or not this is your church or not, how different would your experience, your commitment, your involvement be if you lived in light of that fact? How often we will think and say something like, well, if only Jesus was here. But he is. He's here in his, his body, the body of Christ. The church is the physical representation of Jesus. And so when people think 
about a local church, whether they love Christ or not, the image that God would want to come to their mind is everything we think about when we think about Jesus. It's all the love and the truth and the grace. It's the confronting of social evils. It's the empowerment of the poor by caring for them. It's nobody left alone. It's the very word of God being spoken and life being born. Is that what you think about when you think about church? In one sense, Jesus is not here physically, and yet in another very real sense, he is in the body of Christ. There's interdependency in the church. Just like your big toe, if it was detached from your body, wouldn't do you any good. It's got to be connected to a foot, foot connected to an ankle, an ankle connected to a leg. There's a song about that, I think. All the parts have to be together in order that they each could maintain and live out their own function. So it is with the church. Friends, if you're a Christian, God put you in the big C, the universal church, all Christians everywhere. And that reality is supposed to be lived out in one particular place. The universal church is embodied in the local church. What a humbling thought that is. The Holy Spirit has placed you into the church for your growth and for his glory so that all of us could serve each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. So look around you. There's miracles all over this room. Somewhere near you is a person who was enslaved to sin. Somewhere near you is a person who was incredibly selfish. Somewhere near you is a person who was full of pride or full of shame or headed nowhere honoring to God. And yet God in his mercy reached out and saved us and gathered us into his body, the church. What a great thing that is. When we gather, that's what we're supposed to feel is here is a group of people not who because they've obeyed some set of external rules can come together and pretend that they really loved Jesus a lot this week. But rather a people who've had the shared experience of being called by God and saved and rescued, gathered into his family. God's vision for his church is magnificent. Look at verse 25 again. That there be only a few divisions in the body. No, but that there be no division in the body. But that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member's honored, all rejoice together. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, we're thankful that you're here. We're people who believe in the scriptures. And the scriptures tell us that in the very beginning, so the first book, Genesis 1, Genesis 2, that there was no division. There was no division between God and people. And there was no division between people and people. There was peace and harmony and joy. But when sin entered the world in Adam and Eve's life, then division entered the world. And there's been division ever since. Just pull out your phone and open any news app, and what you will read is the story of division. Division between families, deep discord between ethnicities, cultures, countries. That is the defining mark of the world. 
a people being ripped and torn apart. But there's another story. God is creating a new humanity, a people gathered by God. Jesus came to be the better Adam who wouldn't sin so that he could take on our sin and give us new life. And life under this new man, Jesus Christ, is life in the church where there is to be no division. In fact, where there is no division, the question is just, will we live in light of that fact? Or will we recreate division where there doesn't need to be any, any longer? Our unity, brothers and sisters, is to display the glory of a God who's creating a new people. So do you long to be part of a group of people where no legitimate need goes unmet? We've gathered today as an incredibly diverse group of people. And we're all smiling and looking at each other like things are fine in our lives. But some of us are here today with very significant needs. God's intent is not that you would be an island all alone in your need, but that the church would be a people through which needs could be met, whatever they are. Do you want to do your part to help see that all church members have friends that they can call on no matter what? Do you want to open your lives to others who will help you grow closer to Christ? Do you want to help other people come to know God? Do you want to experience the thrill of being used by God? Do you want to make sure nobody is rejected because they're less attractive or less educated or less wealthy or less experienced as a Christian? Do you want to make a specific commitment to be sure that downtown Tempe is not without a gospel witness. Well, these things are all to the glory of God and they're what the church is for. According to the church, where those things happen is as believers have the same care for each other as part of the body of Christ. So if you're a committed member here, rest assured that God brought you here that you are here for those purposes. And if there's some reason why you don't want to join this church, then we would ask you, have, have you shared your concerns with what you see that would make you not want to make that commitment? Have you taken part in a, a membership class where you could hear about these commitments? If so, and you still can't make that commitment, then perhaps you should consider finding another Bible-preaching, gospel-believing church where you can make those commitments and experience the joy of membership. Our goal isn't to be the biggest church in town. Our goal is to be but one church in town where we're seeking to be faithful to what the Word of God says, however many people God would bring. Again, the church is the ongoing physical representation of Jesus Christ on earth. But that's not been my experience, you might be feeling. Maybe you've come here for a long time and have not found that to be true. Well, 1 Corinthians 12 speaks to that objection. It gives us both the vision of God and the obstacles that keep it from being realized. We could put them in two buckets, if you will. There were two problems 
in the church in Corinth, the, the church that this letter was written to, there were some people that felt inferior and insignificant. And there were other people that felt superior and self-sufficient. So in our remaining five minutes or so, let me describe those two with you. The first is that problem of feeling inferior and insignificant. Friends, some of us, maybe we've never articulated it, but our deep-seated feelings are not of equality and joy, but rather feelings of inferiority and insignificance. Maybe you're here today and you're an ethnic minority in the room, and so you feel like you don't fit. Maybe you're not educated past high school, and you're in a church full of college students. Maybe you're not acting on it, but you're struggling with same-sex desires, attack, attraction. So you feel set aside because of that. Maybe you can't afford particular clothes, or you came here today alone, or you're a single mom. Or maybe you feel like you don't know enough of the Bible to be able to keep up in conversation. Here's what God says to all of those kinds of thinking. Verse 15. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong, that would not make it any less part of the body. Or if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. 2,000 years ago, to a culture completely different than us, a man named Paul wrote a letter to a church where there was division recreated where it didn't need to be. And part of that division existed because some people felt inferior and insignificant. And so Paul wrote them to say, no, if, if you're a hand or a foot or an eye or an ear or an elbow, that doesn't make you any less part. All the parts have to come together and work together to fulfill God's design of the body of Christ. Brothers and sisters, in Christ, we are all equally loved and forgiven, accepted, and commissioned. That's the reality. And so the church should embody that reality, should live it out. But maybe your struggle is not that. It's the other. Perhaps there's some here today that feel superior and self-sufficient. If that's the person next to you, then go ahead and tell them now. Perhaps you think, well, I've just always been a Christian. And these other people should just get along with it. Try harder. Or maybe you've been successful and you've made a lot of money. And so your status as a person of wealth makes you feel better than those without. Or maybe you feel proud because you know a lot of the Bible. Or if you've refrained from the, quote, big sins. Or maybe your spiritual gifts tend to put you up in front of people more often. Well, here's what God says to you. Verse 21. The eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you, or the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Friends, the cross is the great equalizer. Because that place in which the arms of Christ were stretched out and he died is the place in which we are all equals. No one is better than anyone else. 
Christ died for all. None of us is foolish enough to think, well, I don't need my left hand because I'm right-handed, so I'll just cut it off. But when we arrogantly, pridefully act like we don't need each other, that's exactly what we're doing. How often we can treat each other, members of the body of Christ, that way. The revision in the bylaws will remind us that ultimately we do have responsibility to nurture each other in Christ, to represent Christ well, and to do this for God's honor. I'm thankful that as a church, we do have a very strong sense of unity here. But we could greatly improve in our commitments to each other. Friends, if we take these four areas of decision-making seriously, it will mean that we're willing to make ongoing, significant sacrifices for one another. It will mean we think primarily not of ourselves, but of the needs of the group. It will mean we go out of our way to welcome people into our dorm room or our apartment or our house, where we frequent meals together, where we forego a, a want in order to meet someone else's need, where if someone is offending, hurting us, our first impulse isn't to run, but to forgive. Where if somebody doesn't show up for a while, they don't merely pass off into the night never to be heard about again. But we lovingly pursue them. Where it's common that Christian and non-Christian would be gathered in Starbucks or Chipotle to, to just simply read the Bible together. Where we'd see each other as equals, as family members, and live as brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's pursue that church family. And if you're here today and this is your first time, we'd welcome you to come back and to join us on this journey together. That's God's design. Let me end with this quote from a guy that I have no idea how to say his name. His first name is Thibidi. Um, I've stood next to him and he's very humongous. His last name, um, anybody know how to say that? Oh, it's not up there yet. It's Anawanabule. All right, here's what he says. If we as Christians, if we are Christians, the life of God has been poured into our souls through faith in the crucified and risen Lord Jesus Christ. That life is the same life coursing through the souls of other Christians. So that now we not only have fellowship with God, but with all those who are in Christ. And God means for our fellowship to end in holy, everlasting joy. May we taste of that joy even now. Friends, membership is about that. It's about us experiencing God together and that producing joy to the glory of God. In just a moment, I'd love to close us in prayer and then Tad will come and um, introduce a couple that want to share a story with you before we go.
But all through this series, we're going to spend a few minutes in Q&A after. So if this has provoked any comments or questions or snide remarks, I'd love to have you stick around with me. I'll be over in this corner of the gathering area and would love to hear from you as we're done. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you that you have designed us not as individuals who are to pull ourselves up by our own self-effort and follow you on our own. You've designed us to have the joy of living life in a family. Many of us come from really busted up, broken families. And so we come with all kinds of issues, and yet in Christ, we really can learn how to relate to you as our loving Heavenly Father and how to relate to each other as brothers and sisters. Where it's normal that we can be open and honest and transparent. Where there is deep commitment to each other. Where nobody's alone. We pray in your grace that we would do that well. Give us wisdom, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray.